time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome to you as well. Thank you. And last but not least, from East Village Magazine, its editor, Jan Worth Nelson, joins us. Hi, Jan. Good morning, Yay. Tom. Hi, Jan. Good morning. Good morning, Hi, Jan. Thank you. And as uh, is always the case, we start out with a few quotes, including Finish the Quote, fashioned after uh, Flint-based comedian Mark Bondo's Facebook feature, Finish the Joke. We open our chair politics with Finish the Quote. How would you finish this quote? Healthy citizens are what? Healthy citizens both. Democrats and Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, Henry, yeah. Here's, uh, well, here's, wow. here's the original quote. Healthy citizens are the greatest asset any country can have. Oh, wow. good. And that's pretty close to what he said. <laughs> that was... Um. I'm just trying to guess who said that. Uh, Winston. Ben Franklin. Winston. Winston oh, Churchill. Oh, okay. I was going. Oh, he always comes up with good ones. Yeah. 
Who? Who? Winston. <laughs> Winston, Winston Churchill. Churchill. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I was, I was going to guess Teddy Roosevelt for a while, but that was just a wild guess, yeah. Well, here's, here's uh, one of the quotes of the week. Those decisions are still in flux, but I can tell you what I'm advocating for is miles and miles away from here. Ooh. Oh, man. Uh, the two men that uh, left Earth on the Charger uh, in 1979. <laughs> now it's a little more recent than that henry it was white house <laughs> chief of staff mark meadows said he would prefer president donald trump give his republican national convention speech miles and miles from away from the white house oh, after yeah. the president ah, yeah, floated yeah. the idea of delivering it on white house grounds um i guess my question is would gettysburg be a better choice <laughs> I, I, I heard Gettysburg Probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I saw Gettysburg mentioned in some news story about where he might deliver this the presentation. Yeah. I mean, that's also federal property, so it falls in the same category. That's like, also true. Yeah. It, it right. really does, but uh, it, it was interesting that, that he picked those, uh, those two possibilities. Um, another quote, uh, if I don't win the election, China will own the United States. You're going to have to learn to speak Chinese if you want to know the uh, truth. The president. That's got to be Trump. Yeah, that was President Donald Trump. He uh, rallied against his competitor for being weak on China, but stopped short himself of condemning China's repression of an ethnic minority or its crackdown on political freedoms in Hong Kong. Is the president trying to have it both ways on China? Well, oh, I, yeah, I think so. Well, that's his job to mm -hmm. look for the the options that work best for uh, our country and our philosophy. I think he just is always trying to just say whatever pops into his head, and um, uh -huh. he he doesn't want to have to be responsible for any solid position if there's any political peril in it. So he's going to be you know, able to be quoted on one side or the other, e either way. Uh, don't we all do that? I'm not the president, so I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. But, good but nobody does it as much as the president does. <laughs> well, we have some, some more fun stuff coming up later, and I'm sure I, I actually had a piece uh, set up for a little later um, on uh, Gretchen Whitmer, um, and her place uh, to speak at the convention and what that said about her chances of becoming the vice presidential nominee, but that got blown out of the water <laughs> Yet late yesterday afternoon with uh, uh, Vice President Biden's uh, choice of Senator Kamala Harris to fill those shoes. Um, and, and I think I'm going to go ahead and... and uh, put off getting to our, our local stuff to talk about that for just a minute because I'm I'm a little confused and maybe you can help me out and I'm going to do a little bit more research <laughs> on this because okay. I, I, I saw Kamala Harris and, and really got a chance I've seen some of the things that she's done in, in uh, Senate hearings and so on but I watched her very closely during the presidential debates and um but I don't know much about her that didn't come out in that forum. 
and now all of a sudden she's the first black woman the first asian woman yeah <laughs> i which the is people it? of color <laughs> yeah it's I, annoying I mean, I'm I'm confused, so I'm going to have to do a little digging and and uh, learn some more about Kamala Harris. But what do you think of that choice? Is it was it a politically expedient one? Um, is does she bring um, some baggage uh, to the campaign over, say, a Susan Rice or a Gretchen Whitmer um, that? It might make her an easy target for the Trump campaign. Well, I would think whoever whoever is chosen is going to be a target. I mean, whether it's a, it's a governor or a senator, and yeah, she's got some baggage. But from my own point of view, she was one of my favorites early on, even during when there were two dozen Democrats running uh, for the nomination. So no, I know I think it's politically politically expedient, given. The, Really, both the promise he made to nominate a woman, and and then the the Black Lives Matter issue is going to bubble up now. So well, there was a lot I of think, pressure on him to select a black woman. Yeah, yeah, there was clearly that, and I think by whom? Oh, I think really by the black by, women. <laughs> no. Yeah, but, uh, but by current but they're only a segment of the population, guys. Yeah, but I mean, but you know, not that I don't think that um, Kamala. Harris is a good a VP candidate. I, I like her style. I like Joe Biden's style. They look like they look like they belong together. There seemed to be no racial uh, uh, fallout there. There seemed to be an ability to embrace each other without fear or without uh, appeasement, stuff like that. That it works. It looks real. Is is he trying and, to recreate I, the chemistry of uh, Obama Biden? Well, I think so. Yeah, I, I yeah, think so. And I think I think it, it may well work that way. I mean, I, uh, the, the the energy and excitement you're seeing in the last day or so over this is suggests that possibility. Now, most women like would me. not. Most women would not get that close to the president. He's a male. So this is the first time I've seen some sanity and stability in the relationship between man and woman in leadership. And they're both, I mean, Kamala Harris is well qualified to be there, you know. She does a good job. She might have her baggage, but she's there. You make a good point, Henry. In fact, considering Biden's age, I think the fact that she's run for president, albeit unsuccessfully, but the fact she's, she's considered the possibility of being president is a big plus because... Who knows in the next four years what might happen? Uh, I, I think that's a big plus for her in some ways, compared to some of the others who have a lot of qualifications as well. I know that go ahead, Jan. Go ahead. Are not that happy with her appointment that they wanted somebody more to the left, I guess. But you know, when you're trying to do something that's a first, um, you don't always it. The first doesn't always end up being the most radical or the most liberal. Uh, in a yeah. sense, bringing in a, uh, a somebody who's a pioneering, uh, you know, a pioneering appointment like this, uh, it, it makes sense that you could bring somebody in who is more moderate. Um, so, in a sense, so people get used to the idea. I mean, that that might sound like an insult to the public, but um, no, but people, but I, I, th- no, I, I think, think it makes right sense there. that that uh, that that Biden and his campaign are trying to keep at least one foot in the middle. 
Right, and yeah. you know, because the country, that's where the country is. It doesn't seem that way now, but I think, you know, um, helping to bring us back to some sort of moderation is a relief. I felt, you know, I, I don't think she's perfect either, but I felt relieved last night. It felt normal. It felt like a normal kind of political strategizing to bring her into it, and it's just so lovely. It's so lovely to see this kind of a combination. It's more like our country is trying to be right now. Thank you, Dan. And, and 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 the president has already used the word nasty <laughs> to describe her. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, and, and he's her going to get a nickname. It won't take very long to get it to get a to call her name. Yeah, she's she's uh, she um, was nasty in the debates to Joe Biden, and um, <laughs> and and actually that underscores a positive for Joe Biden that you know it's all part of the process and. That didn't impact his uh, his final choice or decision. Well, you know, and as I look at, go ahead. As I look at this now, this is not an endorsement of the process, but it's a philosophical look. It's how America should be looking at the country now in this dilemma that it faces. Yeah. Uh, and uh, when you take a look at it, uh, it looks like the right combination. Looks like things are going to work out well. Uh, that uh, people are going to come back together. They must. And uh, we must be about a business. It, it also it says something about uh, Joe Biden's ability to take the rough-and-tumble knocks of a presidential campaign right. and, and keep on moving forward. Well, you know, when, when Harris was asked about, about her attack on Biden during those debates, she says, oh, this is before she got the nomination. She said, oh, well, that's, that's politics. I mean, it's, it's a contact sport, and that's the way the game is played. But she didn't, she didn't denounce Biden later. She was just part of the, part of the, the debate game uh, during that, that first debate. Jan, what were you going to say? I thought that was one of the most delicious parts of Trump's reaction, was he said, basically, he couldn't imagine that Biden would have picked somebody who had challenged him. And I, I forget what words. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. yeah. He was, she was disrespectful. You know, that, I mean, it just, it's another one of those Trumpisms that, like, everybody must give him 100% loyalty and fealty. And to be challenged by a woman publicly in a debate is just unthinkable. I mean, Trump would go after the person for the next 20 years if they did that. So I thought that was just so deliciously revealing, um, you know, that Biden can show that he, first of all, doesn't hold a grudge, and also that he can be criticized or can be challenged, and that that's a good thing, that that's something. He's man enough to take it, for God's sake, you know, and, and to hear it. So uh, I thought that was a really kind of almost funny, funny thing. Well, it, the president's reaction to it uh, is is really the the tongue-in-cheek moment, um, but the, the actual decision itself to um, put that all aside and pick who he believes is the best running mate right, um, is, yeah. it, it, it really says something not only about Joe Biden, but also about his campaign going forward. 
it's going right. to be really tough to knock him down. Anyway, we have to take a short break, and we're going to move things a little closer to home when we return with more Armchair Politics with Paul Rosicki, Henry Hatter, and Jan Worth Nelson right after this. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. In just a little while, you folks are going to have the pleasure not only hearing the songs of the star of the program and all, but you're also going to have the pleasure of hearing and watching and seeing in person the gentlemen and ladies who have been supplying the fine mu- music behind the curtain this evening. It's a wonderful orchestra. I love to hear them play. But and while you would possibly never even consider counting how many piece- pieces there are in the band, it so happens there are about, I think, 26, 27 members of the orchestra, the stage orchestra here. The only thing is they used to play in Hollywood. And when they were there in Hollywood, California, there were a 65-piece orchestra. And when they were hired by the International Hotel to come here and play, they all got on on the bus, all 65 of them with their instruments and everything, and headed out for Las Vegas. The only thing was, when they crossed the Nevada state line, they had fruit inspection, and this is all slack. Here are some most happy fellas, the four lads for Ford. Standing on the corner, watching all the Fords go by. Standing on the corner, giving all the Fords the eye. 
This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now as we look uh, a little closer to home. The city of Flint is working on plans for a new police chief after Phil Hart stepped down from duty. Hart had agreed in February to fill the role on a temporary uh, basis until Monday, August 10th. The Flint City Charter limits the length of interim appointments. Flint City Council approved appointing Hart temporarily to the chief position in February 2020, allowing uh, Mayor Neely additional time to secure a permanent police chief. Hart's temporary appointment ran out Monday. Why not Hart? Uh, Right. That's my reaction, yeah. Unless he's got some other personal goals beyond that, (laughs) it would seem like a reasonable move. And choosing the police chief in Flint is a got to be done very judiciously because of uh, the rampant rage of uh, criticism that police departments from around the country is getting. And I believe his heart deserves it, and he um, uh, fits that mold uh, with the expectations of doing what people want him to do as a public servant. I think he should have it. And yeah. I, think his, I think his move to decide not to... Uh not to auction off or sell uh, the confiscated guns is a was a positive thing in the last couple of weeks as well that says a lot about his commitment to the city. Yeah, I mean, as the editor of East Village Magazine, I feel like I should know more of the backstory if I was really good at this, you know. Uh, but um, I I don't I feel like I don't know what what was going on behind the scenes. Like when he came into it. Was he pretty clear already that he didn't want to have it? Uh, was he, I, I mean, at the time, it was sort of placed as he was running for sheriff, so if he had won in the sheriff's contest, then he would have, you know, prioritized that. But um, I don't know. Do, do but if, you but know? that shows that he's willing to serve. Right. The, the fact that yeah. he ran for sheriff. So it wasn't like, well, I'm retiring, I'll do this for a little while till you find somebody. Um, right. It, it, it makes me wonder if, if the mayor isn't... Um, boy, I want to be careful on how I phrase this, but if he's not preferring a, a, uh, a black chief... I don't know. Yeah. That could be, but I don't think that that would be the choice right now. You need someone that can be trusted and that the people uh, feel that are good for the city. I don't. I think we need to divest ourselves so much from race. I, I don't know how those how, how those. I'm trying to still get a handle on sort of the essential um, part of the Neely administration, like. There's some signs that that might be a kind of factor, but it, compared to the Weaver administration, if I may say so, I've felt like there's less of that. With yes, there is. There I agree, is, yeah. I agree, Much but more. there is a national push for cities with a large black population to make sure that their police departments, and in particular the leaders 
look like them. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah that that's, be. that's been going on for a long time. So, but but you even know, more I, I done a since, good job of that. But even but more, we still have the problems. The problems still exist. Yeah. You know, when 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 Hart got that appointment, I I kind of I, I don't know this for a fact, but I wondered if there was some kind of a deal where that was going to be a way of taking Hart out of the running for sheriff to guarantee to give Swanson a, a huh. clear clear run at that. I mean, oh. I don't know that for a fact, but that was my speculation. That happened, I think, with uh, uh, Gleason and uh, Dan Kildee a couple of years ago, when Gleason was thinking about going for for the congressional seat. And then the deal was cut to give him the, the county county clerk's position, uh, from what I heard at least. So you know, I appreciated during the protest this summer uh, that Hart wasn't all about being a celebrity. Like Hart was low key; he was in the background. I mean, the the Flint, the city of Flint protests were. You know, I was happy. I was proud that Flint got some national attention for how peaceful our protests were. But it ranked, it kind of rubbed against the grain with me that Swanson was such a celebrity about it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, okay, great. He was charming when he got interviewed on CNN and everything. And uh, but that that kind of stuff sort of rubs me the wrong way. That star seeking, and it worked. I mean, he got elected. But I sort of more appreciate the behind the scenes humility that was more characteristic of how Hart handled it, in my view. <laughs> Yeah. And but Swanson is that way. <clears throat> the Swanson temperament is that way. If you yeah. see him at church, he's singing in the choir, he's playing with the kids. He is a people person. If, you, yeah. if he's with blacks or whites or whomever, he doesn't care. I happen to know the man, be, uh, I observed the man through all yeah. of these dimensions. And so I can give him... Uh, um, a voice of credit for being who he is. He can't help it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, he was... That's, you're right, Henry. I, I've met him a handful of times, and I, he, he is that kind of person. That's true. And it, yeah, well, and it was good PR for Flint, too. You know? It, it yes, was it good was. PR it for was. Flint, and, and, of course, it, it didn't do uh, Sheriff Swanson any harm because he won that seat handily. Yeah, um, I said one surprise I had. I, I was surprised Hart did not do better. I mean, I thought he'd be competitive. I, I was a little surprised by that too, because I thought maybe part of his reason for taking the uh, interim position was to raise his uh, visibility. Right. Um, but right. as Jan pointed out, he 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 did serve. Um, he he didn't back down from talking to people when you know confronted or asked, and he really didn't have any missteps. Right, that's right. Yeah. No, there were some really, you know, there were like helping helping Neely develop the sort of crime proposal plan, the three or four part plan, whatever it was. I mean, I thought all of that showed hard work in sort of building the infrastructure of good law enforcement behind the scenes, and they weren't make they didn't make a huge deal of it. I mean, they had a press conference and everything, but um, it did seem like there was a, a, a thoughtful process that was going on in. It, I thought it reflected well on both Hart and Neely, myself. But um, you know, maybe I'm being maybe I'm being naive about this. Maybe it was all talk, and there might be you know un, unpredictable consequences that I don't that I don't know about. But it did seem like it was thoughtful. Yes, 
And, and Neely is that way. He's a thoughtful man. He's not your typical politician. Neely, he's the kind of guy that could win a statewide office or a countywide office in Flint, Michigan. I see no other candidate with that ability. And uh, I just I, I think it'll be interesting to see what his final choice is and, and to imagine what the, the rationale was because Hart seems like such an obvious choice to just keep on as chief um, because he's he's been through all that, you know, uh, initial uh, vetting and people getting used to the fact that he's there. And, you know, he's he's actually had the, the, the best trial run you could ever expect in a public uh, appointee. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have a question. Go ahead. Um, I, and maybe this isn't the right place to ask it, but just something to consider as we're kind of thinking about what's happening in our community. There seems to be, as usual, some divisions within the African-American communities. And I'm deliberately saying communities since um, since uh, Joe Biden made that embarrassing sort of generalization. <laughs> Uh, in Flint, there seems to be a division between not just the Weaver group that are, you know, still licking their wounds from the election, but on the, on the Neely side, too. Uh, on Facebook posts and everything, there seems to be a lot of accusations and counter-accusations, and um, uh, there, there seem to be really some strong camps about Neely's administration, and I don't know what to make of that. Um, Apparently, um, there have been some really uh, there have been there have been some comments that were made about Neil, about the Neely folks that are really insulting, um, along the lines of being an Uncle Tom or other even oh, worse yeah. is is that are being shouted out at rallies and so on. Yeah. I and I find that again I don't I don't know or claim to understand exactly what's going on there, but. Do any of you know anything? I, I get the feeling, and I don't have this all mapped out. I don't have, you know, graphs and charts and flow charts and stuff. But I've always had the feeling, Jan, um, that, that there are two political power bases within the black community in Flint. At least yes. two. Well, At least two. Two, two powerful multiple. ones. Yeah. Two very powerful ones, and yeah. and um, I think and I don't belong to either one. I, I think we I think we see that in the people that are unwilling to let go of the of the um, the Weaver Neely yeah. campaign, but I think we saw it played out in the uh, the second um, uh, second district uh, seat on the Genesee County Board of Commissioners. When uh, Charles Winfrey edged out Michael Clack, that was fascinating, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yes. And and I think those are two candidates from those different camps. And oh. when when Neely took on uh, uh, Woodrow Stanley for uh, the state house seat, um, yeah, there's no love lost there too. That's right. Yeah, and so I think there are two. Two distinct, very powerful um, black political. What? Uh, I'm not sure the word I'm using or looking like for. Coalitions, influences. 
I, I think as a as a as a white privileged woman living in this town for forty years, I I I still cannot claim to understand and perhaps don't even have the right to comment on uh, a lot of that stuff. I I just um, I I would like to understand it more, uh, but I I am willing to recognize that. Uh, it's re- it's really complex and um, it's it, it's hard to understand as a newspaper. I mean, as a an editor, I feel like um, I have to say there are a lot of things that I don't understand. Yet but, my but job then, is to talk about it and to help our help our readers understand what's going on because it does have effects on on all of us, not just the people of color. But then again, you know, I wonder then, to what degree. Go ahead, John. They are all Democrats. They will not change. And they can live together. And that's what makes it disconcerting. You can't separate them out and find out what their philosophy is, what direction they're going. And, and, uh, and they're probably confusing the strategy within the Democrat Party as a result. I wonder to what degree is it a generational thing? Are we having kind of the old guard and the new guard? I mean, from some of the individuals I'm aware of, I see some of that. Oh, there's a little overlap, but I wonder if it's not a generational thing to some degree. Well, I—that's I, that would be an interesting out, but yet there are people, you know, the clacks on, uh, you know, on one side and mm-hmm. and the. Um, uh, Stanley and, and Winfrey people, you know, on the other side, A.C. Dumas and Karen Weaver. And um, it, it's, it, like I say, I don't, I don't have it completely mapped out. I don't know who all the allegiances are, but there are, there are allegiances to two different mm-hmm. powerful black factions right. in, in, in the Flint community. And it's... Um, Interesting to watch, and and that that second district seat in the Genesee County County Board of Commissioners was uh, a place where that played out. Um, Ed. Yeah, go ahead, Jen. I, I I'm I always get anxious when I can't understand things. It's you know, uh, but that's my problem, I guess. Uh, I and I think why it matters is. Those factions and the way that they play out in the civic dimension has effects on all the on on the whole city. It has effects on the whole community, and um, and again, I don't understand exactly why things happen the way they do. But I do think that this city needs to have needs to figure out a way how to keep its act together. And you know, an, another way for me to look at it, again speaking as a as a white person. Um, I wonder the degree to which some of these, this factionalization is the outgrowth over decades of having to fight for everything, having to fight for power, and having been traumatized by um, everything that's, that's happened in this city. The, the trauma produces some side effects that are really debilitating. There can be. And, um, you know, we, we were talking to this uh, Japanese journalist is in town right now, bless his heart, uh, it's from Shokaguru, I think the name of it is, a publication in Japan. He's staying at the Holiday Inn Express. This is so weird to hear about because it's during the pandemic. And 
you know, we were trying to explain. He, he wants to, he's writing about, got stuck here. He came over for a year to election, and now he's kind of stuck here. Hmm. And so he's going around looking for, got interested in the Flint uh, water crisis. Came over, we had six foot distancing and masks in our backyard, and we talked to him. Um, and explained the Flint water crisis. I said, you know, the, t- the two words to me that sort of sum Flint up right now is um, trauma and distrust. And it ex- to me, that helps me understand a lot of what's, what happens here. Uh, but uh, so I'm, I'm trying to make a, a point that is, is the trauma and distrust feeding into the, the power struggles even among the African-American communities or the communities of color. Um, I don't know. I thought I'd throw that out for you guys. To think or, or on the, on, the, uh, uh, you know, on the other side of that is uh, are these allegiances formed um, through uh, uh, different power and money bases? Yeah. Yeah. Well, are, yes. Are, 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 there, are there personal interests at stake with some of these, with, whether it's contracts or jobs or simply winning elections? Those kind of things can develop over time as well. And, and Dan, you were, you were saying, Dan, that uh, it affects the city. Not only affects the city, it affects every facet of yes. the life of students. It does. Just looking for oh, yeah. a good yeah. education, of law enforcement. People want to do the right thing, but they've got to have the right kind of leadership, and we've got to have some honesty and trust in, yeah. in, we, uh, in what we believe, and we've got to believe in our Constitution. There's no other way. If you can't believe in it's the Constitution that protects us all, and we've got to be able to use that Constitution and not debate every facet of it to uh, eke out an advantage that condemns others and cause others to rise. Uh, we can't afford that in a black community. We huh. have to. We have to do better than that. Well, let's yeah, let's, I, I, let's move over across the street from City Hall. The executive director of the county's anti-poverty agency has abruptly resigned from the department that administers programs like Meals on Wheels and Head Start without a permanent successor in place. Matthew Purcell, who has worked as the top administrator in the Genesee County Community Action Resource Department since November 2015, resigned effective uh, last Wednesday, the County Board of Commissioners confirmed in a written statement to M Live, in a letter to the Board of Commissioners, Purcell said the resignation came the same day he met with uh, Board Chairman Martin Cousineau, Democrat from Thetford Township, and Director of Administration Josh Freeman. I was informed that the Board has decided to move in a different direction with the Executive Director position of G-Card, and my services were not needed moving forward, Purcell's letter says. Is this one of those, you can't fire me, I quit, quits? <laughs> it sounds, like, sounds it. like that, yeah, yeah. And it now, like I know there was some turmoil, at, like on Meals on Wheels, your ride, because of um, people getting COVID, testing positive to COVID, and the other employees not being informed, things like that. I think the, co- the pandemic has created some... Um, some real turmoil over in those agencies where they where they they waited too long to shut things down and then of course it was highly traumatic 
if uh, the Meals on Wheels people couldn't get their food, most of them, you know, MTA was shut down, Meals on Wheels was shut down. Uh, mm-hmm. So I wonder if that was part of it. I'm just throwing that out because I've, I've heard some of that stuff in the background. Well, and is this also a part of uh, the county uh, trying to come to terms with um, some new budget challenges? I think it yeah, is it wouldn't be part surprising. of it. Oh, I think yes. we're going to yeah. see a, a huge amount of those on, on every level of government in, in the year to, years or two to come uh, as a result of the pandemic. And many of those were in the pipeline even before the pandemic hit, but they're going to be just dramatically worse on, on the on the city of Flint level, the county level, state level, and beyond. But why would it be so abrupt, I wonder? Yeah, again, this is this is one of several kind of abrupt dismissals. We've seen some with the Flint School Board lately and others. That is that a trend here in Genesee County? I don't know, but uh, it's, uh, it's a bit of a pattern at least. Yeah, huh. Well, but you got a lot of forces at work, as you said, uh, the budget. The budget consideration. The budget consideration is important to cities, to counties, townships. Everybody's looking at where to call, cut costs. And when you cut costs and you cut people out that are old and indigenous or young without resources, you create havoc. And Meals on Wheels was something that old people thought was important to them. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, rev, the revenue is going to be down dramatically because of the, of the economic collapse we're seeing right now, and it's going to have serious, serious effect on local local governments of all kinds. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Hmm. Well, it's just it's um, you know, as, as as Paul said, we have seen several of you know these somewhat high profile uh, positions. Um, va- being vacated uh, either by people leaving and moving on or people being let go. I'm, I'm not sure we've ever rough. heard the I mean, it feels like everything is just like having, you know, it's like there's this earthquake that continues to have tremors uh, day after day after day after day, and everything, everything mm-hmm. is being affected by it. As, as, uh, yes. Is it yeah. is it possible that there's there's this huge undercurrent of um, as long as we're in pandemic and things are somewhat halted that as we consider a new normal going forward that this is a good time to just rebuild everything? I I hope so. I like that idea. That, that's an option. Yeah, that, that's that's, that's a, dangerous. That's, yeah. that's dangerous. That's also the seeds of destruction for many, many systems and institutions that, well, you, that maintain stability in our government. You know, you know to, go, to go back to Jan's comment of trust, I mean, I think that when you see people like this are dismissed and there's no, there's no explanation, people yeah. lose trust. I mean, again, I'll go back to the Flint School Board a while back when they dismissed their superintendent with and I'm not sure we've we've talked with East Village magazine for a while about that. We really don't know what the the reasons were when the last right. superintendent was dismissed. Yeah, that school district well, is you can say the budget was part of the problem. 
the well, budget is a huge part of the problem. It's yeah. always that's that's always at the heart of these things. Uh, <laughs> in in all things political, there are two questions: who cares, and how you're going to pay for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's uh, we have to take a break here, so we'll uh, come back. We're going to talk some more about schools in the uh, in the next segment as uh, armchair politics continues on today's edition of the tom sumner program hello there citizens darkwing duck here and every time i'm in flint fighting crime i always stop by the tom sumner program don't forget stay dangerous darkwing duck out The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. 
We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange. It's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman steady sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you, could you be happy if your name This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue with uh, Armchair Politics on today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. As promised uh, before we went to break, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about schools and getting back to school. Less than a week before in-class instruction was scheduled to start at Davison Community Schools, the district has decided to postpone its first day to September 8th. Uh, Despite the district's best efforts and intentions to welcome students and staff back to school on August 17th, um, Brown said he doesn't see how the uh, district can do that right now. Governor Whitmer's recent extension of her order declaring a state of emergency through September 4th further complicates opening school and adds to the many challenges we are already facing, Davison School Superintendent Kevin Brown said in a letter. More than 1,100 students, which is approximately 20% of the student population, has registered for online learning. According to the letter, the district has reassigned 21 K-6 through teachers to teach online and is in the process of hiring additional staff in an effort to reduce class sizes and maintain as much social distancing as possible within buildings with face-to-face students. If schools couldn't afford to increase staff and shrink classroom sizes before the pandemic, how can they do it now? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Ah, great question. (laughs) You know, one thought I've had with as schools start to open and some open and close, one thought I've had, for better or worse, is that I wonder if it wouldn't have been wiser to simply go all online, virtual for for this semester, because I'm concerned about the fact that what's going to what may happen is you start off with in-person classes, then you shut down, then you bring them back, then you shut down, and this herky-jerky back and forth may be more damaging than just simply calling it a day and, for better or worse, going online. I, Again, I see some real flaws with that argument, but that's a thought that's occurred to me with some of this because I can see students getting jerked around, being in school for a couple of weeks, then there's an outbreak and you shut the schools down, then you bring them back again. and It's, it's going to be a very messy operation. It is. We live in messy times, though, uh, and uh, some districts are, go- are going to try to start on time and others are going to refrain. But you can believe that the suing public will blame the school district, not the state, if their kids uh, come down with COVID or we have a tremendous epidemic here yeah. in our community. They're not going to go to the state. They're going to go to the Clio. And, and by the way, Clio has, has opted to turn to its parents and students and say, what do you want? Yeah, Give us an idea. Go ahead, Jan. I... I, I I, I respect that. I respect that they're doing that. But, you know, like everybody, how do, how do you make the decisions? If I were a parent, 
I would be so frustrated and exasperated and scared right now. I wouldn't know how to make that decision. I I would feel like it's a situation where I need expert science and help yeah. to yeah. work your way yeah. through. Yeah. I, I think everything you're saying is true, uh, Henry, I do, but boy. But, but see, leaders in schools can't just go out arbitrarily and make these because there's somebody on the other side that's always ready to sue. Well, no, and the opposite the- side is also. So if you come up with a plan, you let people accept responsibility right. for what the outcomes are. People want to accept their own um, choices. They want uh, they want school government to accept choices from them. Listen to them first, and then to school. And how do they de- how do they know what to choose right now? Well, well, that's the, that's the thing is because it's going to be different from um, from region to region. I, you know, it's going to be different in the UP than it is in Detroit. It's going to be different in uh, uh, Hibbing, Minnesota, than it is in Chicago. Um, you know, some schools may be able to go back to in-class instruction very comfortably without seeing a spike, and and others are in danger just trying to show up in the same building. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really tough. I've, I've been going to PT, and my PT person yesterday is a young mother. She's got three kids, and she and her husband are both, you know, they both have jobs, mm-hmm. and uh, the way that she was describing what her life is like now... <laughs> trying to navigate with these three kids and her husband's job and her job and in her case her mother the kids grandmother is helping out but i w- i said to her after she described this whole convoluted thing that they're trying to work out okay so, man i i can't imagine how stressful that is for you and multiplied by millions of families around the country they're going through the same thing and uh, i it just it's really tough it's really tough i i wanted but, to say, i wanted to make it I wanted to make a snide remark. It's a cheap shot, um, Henry. I wanted to say, if you have okay. any connection with Betsy DeVos, would you get her to come off her yacht and uh, help us? <laughs> <laughs> if I told her that, she would love to hear from you. Yeah. <laughs> but we live in unprecedented, unprecedented times. These are times that we've never had before, and we have to go through. We have to fight through them, and uh, we and the outcome is already determined. Because some of us are going to fall victims to any process that we decide. And if the teachers and parents and students are listening to the governor, that's probably where to begin. Well, what's, one of the things that's, that's really fascinating about this uh, pandemic is all of the politics that have popped up around it. The anti-mask uh, movement yeah. and yeah. you know hydrochloroquine versus not hydrochloroquine, <laughs> and and there are all these these political divides, and yet the pandemic. Every time somebody thinks they've you know uh, scored some points and and gotten their political uh, agenda some uh, credibility, the pandemic squashes them. Yeah, because yeah, very bipartisan. Yeah, the <laughs> pandemic is an equal opportunity destroyer, yeah. and you know, like we we saw um, Republican governors in the South 
all of a sudden, you know, just completely reversing their tough positions and saying, no, you better start wearing masks, people. Yeah. I and think by right. contrast to so many other nations, I mean, we, we've been so, so divided on this kind of thing. That's, yep. that's probably one reason why we are the leading nation in the world with, uh, with the number of cases we have. So a number of other nations have done dramatically better because they did have a single plan and stuck with it. Yes. Yeah. Jan, you I mean, started to say something, Jan. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to, again, I'm, I'm at, it's at the end of the hour here. Maybe I'm re- resorting to cheap shots, but it seems like um, <laughs> it's really fascinating to watch Trump when he can't control the narrative, when he can't control something. So the, the, the COVID is not a political, I mean, it, you know, the virus isn't something that you can call nasty. It can't be moved by political will. No, no, it's no. not going to be moved by, by revenge tactics no. against the virus. And it, it's so interesting psychologically to see how Trump responds to something like that where he can't, he can't be the boss of it, he can't intimidate it. Um, it's a virus, you know. It's, it's quite fascinating. And, and it's not like he, gets, he just gets all panicky and just does whatever he can think of to say, and he's flailing around, and, and we all, the rest of us, uh, pay the price. He responds a little bit to women that way, uh, powerful women. It's like he doesn't know what to do, so he flails around. And <clears throat> you know, I have a similar reaction when I hear people say, wait, I'm not afraid. I have with this motorcycle business up in South Dakota recently. Some of the folks were interviewed, so I'm not afraid of the virus. Well, the virus doesn't care if you're afraid or not. It's going to do what it's going to do. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I had a friend once that was was talking about you know how how macho he was, how tough he was, and there was a hurricane coming into into Florida where he <laughs> lived, and he was going to tie himself to a tree and ride it out, and and, and somebody told him they said you know that's all well and good. Um, the hurricane probably won't hurt you. It's it's you know flying tree trunks and Volkswagens and stuff that are going to do you in. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But one of the one of the problems about schools is this notion that started early on in the pandemic that young people were somehow immune. Oh Lord. And and yeah. and, and Hitler used that was. It's like they're they're strong. They're strong. These kids. But but that wasn't you know. The point was, and and it it actually started with the science community. What they were trying to say was that there was an at risk population, not a, a population that was at risk of catching the disease, but succumbing to the disease. Right. Or getting right. it very severely. I, I don't think it was ever intended to say kids can't get it or can't carry it, but we heard it that way. And so, you know, as a country, we kind of thought, well, we can go back to school because, you know, kids can't really get it. And then yeah. it was like, well, kids get it, but they can't die from it. Well, but their, th- their grandparents can. Yeah. They, they, that was very misleading. It really was. And it wasn't just the president doing that. I mean, certainly he had the biggest microphone and he reinforced it. But it was, there was this general perception that young people, um, you know, had uh, uh, the ability to um, avoid getting this. 
and and it it sent us down some really wrong roads and now we find ourselves really muddling with with how to to get going on the right track again and i think that's what schools are uh, are wrestling with yeah. anyway as uh, jan pointed out while she was getting in her last minute shots that we are getting close to the end of the hour and we'll uh, take a short break for uh, show id and we'll return with the second half of armchair politics with paul rosicki henry hatter our roundtable regulars joined by east village magazine editor jan worth nelson uh, when we come back so by all means don't touch that dial and click that mouse we'll be right back hi i'm alexander zonjic don't touch that dial you're listening to tom sumner 